You're listening to Cinema Rex, an Iranian film podcast. Episode 2, Masoud Kimiai's The Deer. Should we start with a mattress ad? Probably. Do you want to do like a better help or hello fresh ad? We're not being sponsored yet, but mm-hmm. I mean you might as well come up with something. No, I think we should we should have we should sponsor ourselves and be like if there's anyone listening who wants to advertise <laughs> their business, then let us know. Contact us and we would love to do an ad read for you. Perfect. Let's do that. Durud Barshoma, Dustan Aziz. This is Cinema Rex, an Iranian film podcast. I'm Kaveh Mohebi. And I'm Farhan Moradi. Welcome to our show. And how are you doing today, Farhan? How is your throat? I, uh, I'm getting over a cold. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, I don't think I've ever had a cold like this before. It has lasted very long. It's been about a week and a half. Um, I did like 20 COVID tests. It wasn't covid um, I ended up going to the doctor yesterday because I was like, this has lasted a long time. Anyway, we don't need to make this far on <laughs> health podcast, but just for the listeners, um, forgive the state of my voice. I think it brings a certain charm and dreaminess to it. So to this <laughs> podcast. So I'm I'm glad your voice is in the state. Um today we'll be talking about the 1974 Masud Kimiaik uh, classic The Deer also known as Kavazna <laughs> yeah um and it's a film that is now wrought with controversy and infamy for uh, a myriad of reasons but we'll get to all of that in due time but to start with a little bit of a plot summary with your permission uh The Deer Wounded by the police, a bank robber, Odrat, returns to his childhood neighborhood in hopes of finding his old friend and schoolmate, Said, only to discover that Said has become a hapless drug addict hooked on heroin. Initially hoping to heal his wounds and stash his bag of money, Odrat takes it upon himself to help Said rediscover the man he once was, hoping that his presence and their renewed friendship will help Said kick the habit. All while a restless and rowdy neighborhood disturbs the peace and the looming threat of an increasing police presence creeps up on the reunited duo in this tale of honor and lifelong friendship that endures in even the worst of times. It doesn't have a Rotten Tomato score as it does not have enough modern reviews. So far on, I'll ask you, what are your thoughts on the deer? Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I had seen clips of it as a kid, but I don't really remember too much. This is mm-hmm. by far the grittiest and most violent Iranian film I've ever seen. Same. Which, and to be honest, it's not even that gritty or violent compared to most Hollywood films. Um, but yeah, definitely out of Iranian films. But ironically, it's also probably the one with the most heart, which kind of seems oxymoronic that it's a very it's the most gritty film but also the one with the most heart and i think that for that reason this film uh has its place in the iranian film pantheon yeah i really like i'm glad you said that thing about heart because i hadn't really put my finger on it in quite that way but 
There's so many notes I'd made when watching the film about the tenderness between the two friends. Mm -hmm. And even like the first time they reunited, the hug they gave, I don't know if it's just the actors giving a great performance, but it's like I'm 10 minutes into the film and I genuinely can get a sense of their friendship. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the two actors hadn't seen each other in 20 years and were hugging each other because it was so loving. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. first moment when he meets him, when he's like doing the emceeing or DJing of like the event, he's like the, it was so heartwarming. And I'm like 10 minutes into the movie thinking like, wow, these two, like I genuinely believe in this friendship so mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause I didn't, I didn't clock at first what his job was like when he was on <laughs> the know. mic. And then right. I was like, oh, he's like announcing to people that the show is about to start. But like, now with oh, modern of course yeah and now with like modern shows it's it's not even a person that does that it's just like an automated chime or like an automated like voice that's just like the show is about to begin or whatever so the fact that they're like paying this guy what did he, he said like seven or eight tomans which is not even yeah. equivalent to a penny today um yeah it's pretty funny well it's also like because i love when we first meet Said, he's like announced i didn't even put it together either he's of course announcing the next show but he's like slumped over he's got a cigarette in his hand and he's kind of like reading and he's so like he's already kind of high off heroin or whatever and what he was reading was first lost on me and then when i turned the subtitles on i caught it did you notice i don't know if it's supposed to be a joke or not but it's like the line is and like coming up next is the all singing all dancing hit comedy hitler's anger aka the rude servant that's oh, what he's I announcing. No. <laughs> I, you know what's funny is I, I like I clocked what he was saying, but it didn't even like occur to me that he had like called it a a hit comedy. <laughs> all singing, all dancing, and it's called the Hitler's Anger, which is like, like it's almost like a joke you would get out of like the naked gun or something. That's yeah. such a clever, funny joke for 1974 Iran. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you first meet him and he's I mean, I just want to say, you know, we're going to gloss into the whatever, but like the performance, Said is like, I don't know, he's so captivating. And mm-hmm. I got to give kudos to the film for like, even the makeup used on him, his teeth look yeah. awful. Yeah. His nails and fingers look terrible. It, it was, he's so convincing as this like battered and destroyed drug addict. It's not like some... I don't know, not that I would expect an Iranian actor to like phone in this performance, but he's just so genuinely believable as this like destroyed and distraught man yeah. off the get-go that you feel so much empathy for him, yeah. which I loved. Yeah, I uh, I, I can't uh, echo what you're saying more. I will say that, uh, and, and this is obviously a product of its time, um, but the fact that the actor is like clearly in very good shape with something that I was like, right. Okay. I have to suspend a little bit of disbelief here because clearly this is a very like handsome and like well-built man, but I'm supposed to buy that. He's like a heroin addict on the verge of death. That being said, the way that he is able to like, he hunches over, he moves more slowly and all this stuff, I think works really well to, to sell that extra missing piece. Do you know what I mean? Like this is obviously before people like Christian Bale were, were completely transforming their bodies for roles. Yeah. So 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Like he he seems yeah, obviously he's in like good shape as an actor, but he does seem like he's carrying himself for this film like he can't even lift his head that yeah, much. Yeah. He's so like drowned out in his own the weight of his own misery. Yeah. And it is like a transformative performance in his body. I should also add cuz I didn't mention in the um in the plot summary, but Said is played by Behrouz Vosouris. Vosouris, yeah. Vosouris. And Kodrad uh, is played by Faramaz Karibian. Uh, they're the, essentially the two main anchors of the film, this friendship between the two guys. Uh, that, and I'd say probably the third role is um, Fatih, which is played by Nosrat uh, Partovi, but uh, Partovi, rather. Um, but, they, you know, they're, three, they're the three central linchpins yeah. of the story and the dramatic thread. And I think all three of the actors are giving such strong, convincing mm -hmm. performances mm -hmm. all around. So, like, kudos to Kimiyani to be able to get, uh, I don't know, just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant also, casting and brilliant performance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I also love all the little characters in, the in, in like, the complex that they live in. Yeah. Like, so they all have such distinct personalities. And mm -hmm. you can tell that this is a very, very, like, lived-in space. It feels very real, and it feels alive, and it feels organic. And, like, these people in this community have an established relationship with one another. It reminded me a little bit of, um, of do the right thing in that oh, way. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. in do the right thing, same idea. You have this neighborhood in Brooklyn that feels very real and it feels alive. And like you have all these very distinct voices that have like a contextual relationship with each other. Like you can tell, okay, right. these people go back. Like they all know each other. Right. That and not um, the neighborhood and as well, like the, the workplace where Fatih works as yeah. an actress, that p feels alive. Like there's the uh, scene with the, um, you know, the next performance that you see while they're backstage is the guy who's doing like the, the sound effects mm -hmm. on mic. Yeah. And it's like the police academy guy. He's sort of like doing like a oh, whole yeah, scene yeah, through yeah, sound yeah, effects yeah. alone. Like that guy's got so much charisma and character and he's just there for like maybe 15 seconds in the movie. Yeah. Um, I also like the landlord who's constantly showing up in the neighborhood telling everyone to pay their fees. And when mm -hmm. they don't, his like act of revenge is to bring like 20 sheep into the courtyard of the house. Yeah. And essentially force sheep upon them as like a form of punishment. Yeah. Because they haven't paid yet. Great. Also, when he, you know, he stands up for his girlfriend at work. Like you see Fatih getting upset that he's essentially, the other actors are giving her a hard time. Mm -hmm. So Saeed shows up, obviously strung out on junk. And he wants to stand up to these actors and push them around. But they're they're much stronger than him, so he like and they're sober. Up, there's yeah, they're much stronger and very sober. And he like kind of takes them aside and says, "Hey, like let me just punch, slap you around a bit to to make me look good in front of Fatih, please." And then the actor like agrees to let him yeah. do that. Like you see him slap him around, and then when they walk away, you see the actor like chuckling and smiling. But he's he's sort of an asshole character, and yet he's doing that for him. It's like very sweet. Like yeah. there's a layered kind of complexity to even these side characters, which is really great. Well, I think I, I will say I wouldn't be surprised if Saeed could actually kick that guy's butt because 
we see later on in the film. Well, I don't know. There's an argument to be made that he could potentially beat him up because he was like roughing him up and he was like clearly winning that fight anyway. But I think that it got to a point where he was like, all right, I've kind of already given you what you deserve for this situation, mm-hmm. but I'm going to level with you. I need to hit you a couple more times and I need her to see it. Oh, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What, what I don't, uh, I mean, cause you can't, you can't forget the fact that Godrat tells him that when they were growing up, he was the strongest kid in school. He yeah. was the one that would chase all the other bullies away. Yeah. So it's like, it's in his history to be this like strong man. He's the one they all looked up to. And that that's what's making his current situation so tragic is that yeah. he has it in him to be a strong, commanding leader type mm-hmm. figure. Mm-hmm. And he's been sort of reduced to the shell of his former self, mm-hmm. which why, like you say, it's believable that he could beat, beat up most anyone. Yeah. But he just can't get his shit together right and now. I, I don't know if this was the case for you, but a lot of those interactions and like the stories that he tells about their childhood or the way that Fatih is like, you're the man here. You're expected to stand up for me, blah, 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 blah. And then in the courtyard, all the women are like, there's not a single real man here who's like going to fight for us. Like these are Mm -hmm. stories that I've heard from my aunts and uncles and my parents and my grandparents from Iran that like this was kind of the way that things were was that in general people were – like respected each other and there was kind of social decorum. But mm-hmm. when people stepped out of line, generally there was like one or two people who would step up and be like, all right, you don't get to do this, this, and that. And right. that slowly over the years, people stopped stepping up to help each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that very fascinating, especially because like in this context too, Fatih and that one other neighbor in the courtyard, these are both women who, if you're, if you're looking at it through like a modern lens, you're going to be like, oh, these women don't have any agency. They're not standing up for themselves, yada, yada, yada. But in the context of like the 70s and the fact that this is Iran, the fact that both of these women are yelling back and they're like, what the hell is your problem? Like, like, leave me alone, leave us alone, blah, 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 blah. And they're saying this and that they're trying to call on other men to also come in and do their part, I think right. shows that these are in fact women who do have agency. There's just obviously a contextual difference there of time and place. There's also though, like I'd argue the woman who lives in the courtyard, who's like on the upper floor, actually is pretty commanding even for today's standards because she's yelling at the other woman. You know, there's a woman yelling up at the man. Yeah. There's like some pretty like sta- the women that are really standing their ground and yeah. giving everyone a piece of their mind in a pretty contemporary way for even, you know, like it's not even just, oh, she's standing her ground for 74, but like that one woman in the courtyard is like, I don't know, she's like not letting anyone push her around, which I, I, I don't know. I, badass. I think within the context of Iran, Mm-hmm. That is still very contemporary, like today. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say that that is progressive for today in Iran. But yeah. I would say that in a in a film, like in a in a mo- movie set in the U.S. made by American filmmakers or by Hollywood, critics watching that scene would likely be like, "That woman doesn't have any agency. She's a right, damsel right, in distress, 
and her whole thing is that she's waiting for someone to save her. That's why I think that it's unfair for us to look at it in that lens, because given the context, that is actually pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Determined and persistent. And it shows right. strength in a character, in, given that context. Like she yeah. doesn't need to get down there and physically fight that person or like, like toss aside all these men or whatever to defy the patriarchy. I think in that context, she's doing that already. You're talking about the woman in the courtyard, not Fatih, right? Both, to be honest. Yeah. The woman in the okay, courtyard yeah. a little more, but, but yeah. 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 I think also a large portion of this is kind of like, it's really kind of showcasing people who have come, have fallen to bad times and finding the strength either within themselves or through each other to kind of stand up, stand up for themselves. Again, mm -hmm. a large portion of what Said's journey is, is, you know, standing up for his, his girlfriend, Fatih, and mm -hmm. making her proud. Like, you know, once he starts kind of getting his shit together, you know, Kodrat gives him that big speech about stand up for yourself, become a strong person. <clears throat> And he does, and he sort of returns back to where Fatih works and stands up for her again, but this time not through like a handshake deal, or whatever. Like, and Fatih's actually really impressed with that. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's about taking action and being assertive. That's the word I was looking for earlier is being assertive. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's a common <laughs> yeah. theme, like you said, like it's the women are all being assertive, but the reality is that in that context, it's not enough for just the women to be assertive. You also need the men to be assertive. You need a bit, you need that balance because unfortunately a lot of these men in this society are not going to back down necessarily if it's just a woman saying it. But when you have a woman and a man both calling out the same person, then that person's like, oh shoot, then they get embarrassed right. or they feel self-conscious or whatever and they back away. Because when it's just the men doing it too, they see it as a call to fight. If it's just the women doing it, they're like, oh, you're just a crazy woman, blah, 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 blah. But when it's both mm -hmm. doing it, all of a sudden these perpetrators are like, then they're on the defensive and they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Like I, I have to pay my own bills too, guys. Come on, blah, 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 blah. And then eventually right. everyone like jumps on that guy, right? Yeah, and also with that, there's the um, there's the whole element of Said who has to keep returning to the drug dealer, and the yeah. first time he shows up, he's begging and pleading, and he's weak, and he's, he'll do anything for more drugs, and yeah. he promises he'll he'll have money next time, and he gets smacked around a bit, and mm -hmm. the drug dealer's daughter has to interfere, like a young eight year old girl, you yeah. know, just just give him, you know, please don't hurt him, and she uh, is the one to hand him the drugs that he needs. This eight year old girl, yeah. Yeah, brings the heroin over to her father. And, you know, but then you sort of discover through what he's saying and what Odrat tells him is Said's lot in life right now is to just become this pusher for the drug dealer, to go hmm. and find other young, impressionable high school students and get them hooked on heroin so that the drug dealer will have more clients. And yeah. He doesn't want to do that, but it's like the only thing he can do right now to get more drugs. So he's trapped in this cycle of harming other people for his own benefit, despite mm -hmm. the fact that he was someone who used to stand up and protect young people. Yeah. And so and he's, he's seeing that. And he's specifically exploiting his connection with his father to do it because his father is the principal at that high school. It's the same high school that Sayed and Kodrat went to. 
right? It's the, so I think the fact that that was the same school that Godad is telling all these stories about, about how Sayed would fight these bullies and fight these oppressors and all this stuff. Now he's the one in there pushing all this stuff on kids and getting kids hooked. And he specifically talks about how hundreds of kids ended up dying by the hands of that very drug dealer. Yeah. Right? So he's contributed to the death of hundreds of students. Uh, there's, there's a really great line when he's describing that his job was to go find I think it's Fatih that's saying to Qudrat what Saeed does. And she's describing that his job is to go get more kids hooked. And she says, he was like the wind and the kids were like leaves in autumn. Oh, that's really Powerful. sad. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, um, do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about the context around the film? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk a little bit. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Sure. Yeah. So I, I did a little bit of a write up for this one. Typically we won't, but in this case, there's, it was a hot time in Iran. So, um, prior to the film coming out, there was something called the white revolution, which was a series of government, uh, changes within Iran that attempted to modernize the country. Um, now it, mm -hmm. it led to a mass migration of laborers into the city. And this influx led to higher densities of population and a diminishing middle class and a frustration between different economic groups. A combination of these economic frustrations, competing political ideologies that had been going on for the last 20 years, and the secularization of government, which was perceived as the suppression of religious leaders uh, at the time, provided a hotbed for revolutionary movements. It's in this setting that this film was created and released. So just talking a little bit about the, the film itself, the director's cut of the film uh, was only played to audiences once. And that was at what I call the original TIFF, which is the Tehran International Film Festival. That was in November 1974. That predates the Toronto International Film Festival. That's why I call it the original TIFF. I had it. I had it written in my uh, notes as the other TIFF. That's so, so really funny. funny that we both, yeah, because it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was then forced to undergo reshoots and dub dialogue changes because the government wasn't happy with the film itself. Well, and Savak, uh, secret police stormed yeah. the screening of the first, the first screening of it at the, at the TIFF and, uh, for, and I guess arrested him right on location. Oh, I didn't know about that. That's wild. Yeah. They, I think they brought him in and had him discuss what he had just seen, what they had just showed. And that's when they had kind of just, they gave him the breakdown of the dialogue changes he'd have to make and changing the identity of Rodrat and mm. essentially giving the censored version that we now have. Yeah. And so Rodrat's character was originally meant to be um, a socialist communist, socialist slash communist guerrilla um, who was wanted by the Iranian government for his involvement in demonstrations. And one of those mm -hmm. demonstrations was where Rodrat receives the bullet wound that we see at the start of the film. Um, right. But then as a result of the, the censorship, his character was changed to being a bank robber. Yeah. Um, and then with the theatrical release of the film, the general audiences in Iran were actually aware that the film had been censored and that Rodat was meant to be a communist. And, and this yeah. kind of built 
a mystery and intrigue surrounding the original cut. Uh, and it kind of became a bit of an urban legend with audiences theorizing about the missing details. Um, and yeah. the best quality version of the film, which is the one that we watched, is actually still missing some of the original scenes from uh, before the censorship. But it does have the original ending restored, which we had a chance to watch both versions of the ending. Yeah, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But just on the topic of this, the censored version throughout the film, you know, there's also, I think, aside from changing him from anti-government insurgent to bank robber, mm -hmm. it seems like he, they also dialed back a lot of the description of Saeed's drug addiction. Yeah. The version, you know, they went, especially when they go into the great, great detail of what he's gone through and how he fell into despair. You know, it's really highlighting, I think what Kimiai is doing is bringing a lot of attention to these people that were in better positions and through the years have fallen on hard times. And he's sort of saying like, this might be the Shah's fault. Well, I mean, he's not saying it might be he's like saying under the last couple of years under the Shah, good people have fallen on hard times and turned to drugs. And I think a lot of the description of how he turned into drugs has been cut out, including a description of how he like, there's a mention of smuggling the drugs through his anus, which uh, was cut oh, out. Oh yeah. yeah. It's in, it in the version we have that we saw. He says that he put his, put the drugs up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um also I think this movie is important for Iranians to see now, especially in the diaspora, because there is a I guess nostalgic way of looking at Iran during the time of the Shah as if everything was hunky dory. But mm -hmm. the reality is that obviously something had to have been amiss for frustrations to have built up. That obviously doesn't justify the current state of Iran. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is to look back on everything prior to the revolution and say, oh, everything was perfect is, I think, doing a disservice to what was actually happening. So watching this movie, I think, is, a, is really important for Iranians today, especially those in the diaspora, because a lot of people in the diaspora come from families that had the opportunity to escape, right? But people from families that did not have the opportunity to escape um, are a lot of the same people who suffered the hardest under the Shah and, and continue to suffer uh, under the current government. Right. Um, and, and as you're saying, sort of like from my readings and understanding, it's like that, that white revolution, it created a layered society in the fact that the people that were migrating to these cities, it was, they were mostly uneducated, unskilled. And they, they were sort of like, it was forcing overcrowded, like it just, it was an influx of population, overcrowded yeah. homes, hostile situations. And many of them like therefore fell into drug addiction. Yeah. And all of a sudden the middle class becomes a lot smaller and the, 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 the wealth is not being dispersed properly. Yeah. You know, the, the people are getting meaningful social and economical economic, um, you know, status upgrades. It's going, it's, you're increasing the, you know, the one percenters of Iranian civilization at the time. And, and there's people are either falling to despair. There's no middle class really at that point. And there's an argument to be made that a lot of this was the growing pains of moving from a more feudalistic rural Iran to a more modernized uh, right. rural Iran, right? And that eventually things could have balanced themselves out a little bit. But it's obviously when you're in the thick of it, it's like things are a lot darker, right? 
And we will never know because there was never an opportunity for things to level out. Maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe they would have. I don't I don't know. And I don't think anybody really knows. But basically what was happening, to, to give a little more context, is that in rural areas of Iran, the way that it worked is you would have individuals who owned a ton of land and then people worked that land. And that was very feudalistic and that had been the case for hundreds of years, right? Um, right. And so with the, the white revolution, the idea was that um, people who own that land, first of all, a lot of that land became nationalized. So it became crown land. It became part of the government's resources. Mm-hmm. Another thing that would happen is a lot of the, I, I like assume they're kind of like middlemen or like ma- like middle management, right? People who kind of worked between the landowners and the the workers ended up also receiving a percentage of land from the original landowners. So what ended up happening was you had the most powerful people in the rural areas power being diminished right mm-hmm. and then you had but still maintaining that that higher level just status yeah that higher status it was just reduced yeah. a little bit and then the middle management people were elevated but then the people at the bottom at this point were now pretty much guaranteed that they would never be able to get out of the bottom which is why they they left the city um so yeah that's kind of the a little bit more context well and that all existing within the backdrop of this film and showing that you know, the Iranian people are falling on dire times, clearly mm-hmm. ruffled a lot of feathers. Yeah. Not only the Shah, but just the depiction of a drug addict in such a horrible st- state. You know, obviously, yeah. it just seemed shock. It was a shocking and gritty film to be shown at that time. It led to the Cinema Rex fire, essentially, which yeah. we take our name for the podcast. I mean, you know, my first thought of calling it Cinema Rex was to revitalize theater in Iran and yeah, like give yeah. it a new meaning. But I, you know, if if you'll if you'll if you're willing to share with us some of the details of the Cinema Rex fire, yeah, um, take it away. So I obviously wrote this down to avoid saying anything wrong, but basically, on uh, August nineteenth of nineteen seventy eight in Abadan, Iran, four men barred the doors of the Cinema Rex during a screening of this very film, The Deer. They doused the cinema with gasoline and started a fire outside of the three entrances to the main hall. It is estimated that about 370 to 470 people died in the fire, with 223 additional people suffering non-fatal injuries, and the remaining 100 people in the audience uh, were able to escape uninjured through the roof. The fire was followed within hours by a firebombing in Shiraz. And two days prior, there was a theater in Mashhad that had been burned down, which killed three people. At the time of the Cinema Rex fire, revolutionaries blamed Savak for the incident, while the government blamed revolutionaries. While questioning the possibility of this being a false flag operation by the revolutionaries was deemed unpatriotic and considered taboo at the time, following the revolution, Multiple documents have been revealed allegedly tying Shia clerics to the attack. Yeah, it sort of falls on the line of if you look closely at the documents and who was involved in the jur- uh, the, ju- the judge on the Cinema Rex case and his father-in-law being one of, per- potentially one of the perpetrators of the attack, it seems like it really does highlight 
quite evidently that it was a false flag attack, sort of creating a situation where a film that is provoking the Shah and its government, of course, comes under fire. There's victims of it. And now you can point to being, see what the Shah is doing to us Mm -hmm. and essentially rattling up the people of Iran and saying, you're, you know, your government is out to get you. We Mm -hmm. should revolt. Mm -hmm. And it essentially laid the seeds for what became the 1979 revolution in Mm -hmm. Iran. I have a, friend who's a prominent actor from Iran, and I don't want to necessarily say who it is just in case they don't want this information out there, but they were actually involved in the protests at the time of the Shah. And uh, they were telling me that they remember that on that night when they had found out that the the fire had happened, um, they were meeting with a group of other revolutionaries past curfew and they were meeting in secret. And they would do this constantly and talk about their plans to, you know, go to new demonstrations and whatever. And they were like, you know, this doesn't really make sense that the Shah would do this because all this does is it mobilizes individuals outside of our group and it makes the average Iranian more likely to support our movement. It shakes them out of apathy. It -hmm. makes more sense for this to have been a false flag operation to get more people riled up. The other reason that they brought this up was they were like, also, this movie, if anything, helps our cause. While a lot of the extremist religious groups are actually anti-cinema and and anti-modern art. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. And as a result of that, this person became ostracized for voicing this to their compatriots throughout these demonstrations. I know you don't want to mention the name, but I'll just say it. It's Ryan Gosling. (laughs) You can say it. It's okay. It was Ryan Gosling. Um, But that ended up being the, the reaction to that event from this person's peers, from this person's friends, where they were all like, Oh, you were, you're secretly a part of Savak. You're actually a government agent, mm-hmm. all this stuff, yeah. yada, yada, yada. This person was like, oh, our country is not headed in the right direction. And they immediately made plans and left the country prior to the revolution. And then when they saw that the revolution had happened, they were convinced to come back by some of their friends mm-hmm. that were like, oh no, things have like leveled out. They went back to Iran and realized, oh no, this is not my country anymore. I can't be here. And then they left and never went back. Yeah, it's 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 a heavy thing for this film to be associated with. And unfortunately, it's gonna it will always be this dark shadow that kind of looms over it. But I think this film deserves to have attention for other reasons too. Not only because it's a powerful, beautiful, and gritty film, but it's sort of not it wasn't it wanted you to think other things, you know, it kind of wanted to paint a portrait of people who had less, lesser, lesser seen people in Iranian civilization at that yeah. time. And I think it got so caught up in other controversies that I, I wonder if Kimiyai looks back and thinks that the inherent message of the film was lost well, due what, to headline news. What he does say is that, and this is a quote from him, the deer was never an apathetic film and it still isn't. Mm-hmm. Which, That's good. Yeah, which powerful. I think is, yeah, very powerful. With that, do you want to go to trivia time? Yeah, let's do it. Hit me with what you got. Okay. Uh, in production, the movie was called Tir Baran. 
uh, but Kimiai later changed it to Badir. Mm-hmm. Um, now you and I had different thoughts on Tear Baron. Your, I remember asking your my initial, mom yeah, your initial translation is correct. I okay, so it's like it's like a, it's a firing squad. I say like it, it literally translates to like rain of bullets, but yeah. I feel like it's a type of it's like it's it's a um, firing squad on an uh, on a prisoner essentially, right? Well, I th- I think it I, it is actually what you said that, that like rain of bullets or a, a hail of bullets, right? But but yeah, I think the idea is that it's supposed to be about like you know execution, yeah, execution or someone getting riddled with bullets, a hail of bullets. Yeah. Why do you think um, he changed the name? Yeah, it's a it's a massive pivot. Like I don't know why it's called the deer. There's no deer in the film. No, I. So I I think. Changing the name either was to avoid spoilers or because the ending changed, oh, it doesn't right. yeah, make sense. And like that title doesn't even apply anymore. Um, and then the deer, I was having a conversation with a friend about this, is likely because, you know, deer are gentle and majestic creatures, which are unfortunately hunted. Mm-hmm. So that could be... So Saeed is the deer? I think so. But it's also plural. So maybe, maybe Saeed is also like a stand-in for, for the people in the community, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. I'll take it. Yeah. Should we mention the, the, the two different endings? Yeah, that's a good point. So from the, the version that we ended up seeing, well, first we watched the YouTube version, which was such poor quality that we ended up having to stop halfway through. Yeah. Because the sound quality was almost indecipherable and the, the, the film itself was so blown out that it, you couldn't really see much of what was going on. It wasn't yeah. great quality. Then you were able to track down a much better version mm-hmm. and it had, it had included all the censored, initially edited out censored bits but it also had the two endings mm-hmm. and you and I had, we, I mean, I remember being worried because we weren't sure at first, which one was the real original ending and which one was the government sanctioned ending. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very worried that the one I preferred was the government sanctioned ending. Cause I would have been pretty destroyed to find out that the government made a better ending. Yeah. But you, cause you, for a while I was, okay, so let's talk about it. You talk about the two different endings. And then I'll tell you which one I thought was the original. So throughout, just for context, throughout the film, we're seeing that these two friends are very close friends. And right right before the ending, uh, Khodrat is like, take this money with Fatih and go take it to this address for me. And he's like, Mm -hmm. okay, sounds good. Like, Like, we'll go, we'll do this, yada, yada, yada. Then it cuts to the next morning, when Fatih and Sayed are on their way back to the complex and the complex is surrounded by police. Yeah. Rodrat, or sorry, Sayed convinces the police to let him in to try to negotiate with Rodrat, who's being held up in the room with the police surrounding all the, with police station on the rooftop surrounding the area. Yeah. So this is where the film splits into two versions. So in one version, you have uh, S- you have Sayed who comes in and he's like, hey, come down, like, give up. I don't want to see you killed, blah, 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 blah. And Rodat is like, get out of here. I don't want you to be involved in this. Why are you here? Please leave. 
blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, no, you're my friend. And then the police are like, don't move any closer. And Sayed makes a run for the door. He gets shot by the police on his way into the apartment. He gets into the apartment. He has a heart to heart with Rodrat. And then eventually the police open fire on the room. And I guess a bullet hits something that causes the place to explode. Then the- it also has that it has that version has the beautiful line by Said that says, I get to die. This is my home. I get to die here with you as my friend rather than in the gutter. Essentially yeah. translating yeah, to yeah. Like, I don't die. I won't die a heroin addict dead in the gutter somewhere, yeah. which I thought was a pretty beautiful line. Yeah. And then the other version of the ending Ugh. is Yuck. is uh he when when Sayed comes into the courtyard, Rodrat is like of course, I should have known you were the one to rat me out to the police. And then he's like, what For no you? reason. Yeah, and he's like, he what are you talking about? Him. Yeah, and Sayed is just as confused. He's like, what are you talking about? Why would I do that? He's like, yeah, how else would they have known I was here? Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, obviously that one other neighbor you helped ratted you out. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly. And then uh, Khodrat shoots Sayed. And then Sayed falls over. Khodrat feels bad. He comes into the courtyard, uh, surrenders himself to the police. And then Khodrat, or sorry, then the police are like, don't take him just yet. Let him have a moment with his friend. Yeah. And then Sayed is like, oh, don't worry. I, I don't think the bullet hit me in anywhere that's going to kill me. It's a yeah. lot like your, your wound. It, I should be okay. Blah, 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 blah. And then they take... Godrat away. So that's the other ending. So you effectively have one ending that has this beautiful, tragic ending of the two friends in solidarity against the police force who die together but remain friends. And then this other one where the guy essentially thinks his best friend betrayed him, shoots him, and then surrenders to the police, and the police don't kill anybody. And I remember thinking initially, well, obviously, Kimiai's version must be the one where they both die at the end yeah because it makes the most narrative sense it doesn't make sense for him to believe Said betrayed him there's no context for that but you were worried that it was the other way around at first right yeah were you thinking that the other way was the original i was worried momentarily and it's it's partially because the version that we watched has both endings back to back with a text on the screen that says Oh, one of these. Yeah, one, one of, of these, these is not real. Yeah, and it's the like, way which it's one? worded is like yeah. not very clear which is the real one and which is not. In fact, the way yeah. it's worded made me think that it was the other way around. Yeah. And added to the fact that the the terrible quality version on YouTube is the one with Kimi Ai's original ending. And oh, also, right. okay. yeah. I didn't even check. Yeah. And also, when I asked my sister, hey, what's the ending that you remember seeing? as a kid on TV and on VHS, she was like, oh, it's the one where the two of them are together in the room and they get shot up by the police. So I was like, because all this text around that, around the version that we watched is like, oh, we like went through such lengths to restore the film, blah, 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 blah. Made me think that prior to this version, that ending had never been seen. But given what we know now, I understand it to mean that the version that we have is a more modern restoration. So the the impressive right. thing here is that 
it's the best quality version. And I think that there might be a couple other moments throughout the film that they were able to restore that maybe wasn't in the VHS version. But essentially the version that my sister saw, the version that's on YouTube, that was a version that was released outside of Iran after the revolution that also restored the original ending but I think was missing a couple other restored pieces. Right, okay. So all is right with the world because the better version is the Kimiai intended version. Yeah. And I remember being like pretty stressed out after you and I were texting back and forth because I was like, God, what kind of person am I if I watch both these versions? Like, yep, the government-sanctioned version is the better version of the film. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck artistic creativity and what the director wants. I was so worried that that would be the case. But I was like, it can't be. There's no way the government's like, well, I guess I saw a world where they were like, and the government must kill the drug addict and his friend. Yeah. But I was like, it seemed, it makes so much more sense the government's going to come out being like nonviolent yeah. and the, the the friends turning on each other. It's like, see, it's people against people. It's not government against yeah, yeah, people. Yeah. Also, so the, government, my, the government yeah. being sympathetic and being like, let them have a moment together. Yeah. Yeah. It just made, it was, and it's really bad. Like, it's just so cheesy. And weirdly enough too, I think that's the version that, cuts like cut it cuts to a few people bystanders in the back like the neighborhood people watching yeah saying what's going on and stuff so i was worried that that might be the original version because i was like if they were going to do quick reshoots they probably can't get the extras involved mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's yeah. more shots of the extras in the government sanctioned version, yeah which, which I, I was worried about yeah which i will say that i i think the one thing missing from the theatrical version is Either not necessarily reactions of of the other people. I don't necessarily need that. But I would love to see is what started the fire, the explosion, because yeah, it it goes from Sayed or sorry, Rodrat shoots one of the officers, and then all of a sudden, all the officers open fire, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to an exterior shot of the of the building, yeah, and it gets riddled in bullets. And then, and then some smoke comes out and then it like completely goes up in flames. But yeah. what I would have loved to see was like, I don't know, a bullet hitting like, like a, a glass of oil or something or yeah. a lamp. Uncharted, or, uncharted for mechanics, essentially. Yeah. I, I wanted to yeah. see it like hit something. Yeah. Um, and it's possible that it was in the original ending and like that was not able to be restored there's a few things here and there throughout the film that um, are missing, but I'll, I'll talk about it more when we get to nitpicks. Um, yeah, did sure. you have any more trivia? Yeah. Unlike most Iranian movies that end with the title card, Payan, mm-hmm. literally means the end, the deer finished with the title card, Tamam, that can translate to done. With the exception of the theatrical version of the film, or sorry, the director's cut. The, the director's dr- cut. The director's right. cut still says Pion. So why the added, why do you think the added done to? I don't know. I was thinking about it and I was like, maybe it's like a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience that like, yeah, there's something up with this ending. Yeah. Yeah. That's an inter- I like that idea. I feel like there has got to be something to that. Um, according to one IMDb comment. So take this uh, detail with as much. With a grain of salt, because I don't know how accurate it is. But according to one IMDb comment, this was the seventh and final time Kimiai and actor Vosuri worked together as the two parted ways after a very bitter fight. Vosuri moved to California while Kimiai stayed to make films in Iran. 
Hmm. They never worked together. I'm guessing if you cross-reference their IMDb's, you'll see that they never did work together again. But I wonder, I mean, I don't, I can't, you got to question the validity, but it's interesting to think that these two had a pretty falling out, mm-hmm. pretty strong falling out. After. Yeah. Um, uh, before going on set to shoot this movie, Vasuri spent about three months in an institution for drug, for drug addicts outside of Tehran. Oh, I didn't know that. According to IMDb, that's it. So, I mean, that's cool. Kind of yeah. more method with it. and Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Dustin Hoffman had done the same thing for Rain Man. Not drug addicts. He <laughs> spent some time <laughs> yeah. in him. It'd be really that. weird it, if, he, if he spent all his time with drug addicts, then he came back. And play. they're like, yeah. Uh, yeah. why are you playing, playing role. this role like this? Uh, a 2009 <laughs> film magazine poll of nearly 100 Iranian film critics named The Deer the best Iranian film ever made. I can see it. I can see it. I don't know if I agree. I haven't seen enough I haven't seen enough Iranian movies to say that this is the best, but it's it might be the best that I've seen. And that's it for trivia. I I have one more. Oh, great. Yeah, good. Uh as with most Iranian cinema from this time period, all of the dialogue in the film was dubbed after filming. Ah, that that, that actually also makes it easier to redub lines with the yeah. censored version. Yeah. Why was that the common approach? Just for simplicity's sake? I think so. And I think lack of modern technology. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, we'll just, we'll just, you still act, you'll say the lines, but don't worry about the quality of sound. Recording. Yeah. You just get it later. Which I think ADR is the entire film. Yeah. And I think that that is also a testament to a lot of the scripts and the yeah. dialogue mm-hmm. because you can't really veer off too much because you mm-hmm. need it to, you need the, the lip sync to match up. Right. Yeah. So if it's not matching up, then obviously you have a problem, which there is one scene in here where the dubbed words are like way off. Actually, there's a couple but they're the, excluding the stuff that's like, okay, this is redubbed for the sake of censorship. Mm-hmm. The other one that I noticed was when all those rich people are giving meat to people from the windows. And she's like, okay, okay, one at a time, right. whatever, whatever. That yeah, is yeah. completely different from the lip flap. But I think Interesting. it's... I didn't notice that. I think that was completely... Um, like ad-libbed. Um, okay, critical reactions. I wasn't able to find any um, critical reviews from esteemed critics, but you said you were able to find one? The The only one I found was what you said about the 2009 film magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah, I can't see. Yeah. Um, deeper analysis in our interpretation. Themes and subtext of the films. So I don't think the film is necessarily saying much more subtext than what's on the surface level. I think this is a story about how um, it's just a meaningful snapshot of the, of a life of, of a group of people who have fallen on hard times and how their friendship is going to be the one thing that sort of saves them. Or maybe in this case ends in tragedy, but still the friendship was strong. I think the stuff we talked about, the white revolution, it's a critique on that. It's a critique on the Shah, the Shah and the way he governed uh, the people of Iran at the time. And you're just, it's, it's more of a, in my opinion, a snapshot of a life of like, look at these people who were once strong individuals, self-respecting, self-sustaining. And now they've, you know, they're, they've shriveled up into these sort of like hapless 
addicted sort of stupors. Yeah, that's that's what I think too. I think that it was the subtext is about the the commentary on society at the time, on the government, on socioeconomic issues between different classes. So I think I think you're you're on point with that. And then in terms of themes, I think a big part of it also is about, you know, how to take control of your life and how to stand up for yourself and stand up for what's right. And I think the fact that Kimiai says that it's not an apathetic film yeah. speaks to that specifically, that this movie is about shaking people out of apathy. And I think that that is the common through line in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, and the thing you said about the deer being the title, I, I like that in terms of what subtext could mean. It's just mm -hmm. that these people are delicate, soft, harmless creatures that are yeah. being destroyed by hunters. Yeah. I mean, that, that fits very nicely in my opinion. So I like that. Mm. Uh, okay. Best scene. Uh, I'll let you go first. What's your favorite scene? I have a tie for best scene. I do too. Okay. So one of them is the courtyard conversation between Sayed and Khodrat, where Khodrat is held up in the room and Sayed's in the courtyard. Mm -hmm. And he's like, get out of here. Why are you here? You shouldn't be here. I don't want you to get involved in this. And he's like, right. I'm your friend. I'm, I'm with you to the end. Blah, blah, blah. Like that yeah. whole exchange with one upstairs and one downstairs. I thought that that was beautiful. And the mm -hmm. other one for me is the scene where Sayed is like, mitunam, mitunam, which is like, I can do it, yeah. I can do it. And he's like punching at the wall. And it like, that is the moment where he is shaken out of his apathy. It's the moment yeah, where I, you're like, he's back. Yeah, I was gonna say that's for me, um, that's one of my favorite scenes. Like I just called it the, the scene where Kodrat tells him to rise up and that whole speech that comes with it about being, um, you know, a man of conviction and standing mm -hmm. up for who you are. I like that scene a lot. Um, I really like the scene. It's a sad and heartbreaking scene, but that whole first interaction between Saeed and the drug dealer and him begging for, for another hit. And he's like, I don't have the money, but please like, just give me one more. Hmm. I felt like that sad scene was so heartbreaking, but like how the drug dealer will not relent. He's not giving me an inch. Mm -hmm. I could feel like the frustration on both sides and it just felt powerful. It felt like a pretty, like I felt like it was one of the grittier scenes of the film, mm. seeing this like this poor disheveled drug addict beg for more heroin. There's just something you don't see too much from Iranian cinema of the time. Mm. That's actually really my like least it. favorite scene. I'm just joking. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> Um, I also, again, like when we first meet Saeed, I just have simple stuff like, uh, when we first meet Saeed being a disc jockey or whatever announcer, Yeah, I like that. So I like seeing him for the first time. I, I really like a lot of scenes with, a lot of scenes with Saeed. Like when he, when he first come, has his friend come over that night and introduce him to Fatih, he's like making a little picnic table in the living room. He's like, we have some delicious things to eat. Look at all the good things we have to eat. Some bread. Like, I just like that. He's just so excited to have a friend over. I really like <laughs> all, all the Saeed scenes. That too, the, um. I wrote this down because it was something that I liked a lot when he's like, like right before Rodrat. Oh, it's right before Sayed and Fatih go inside and she meets him. She's like, he's like prepping her for what kind of guy he is yes. and his relationship yeah. with her. And he's like, you know, whenever he, he had a big loss, I shared in that loss with him. Whenever right, he had yeah. a big win, 
I would leave him alone and I would let him enjoy the win. Like yeah. I wouldn't try to to take from him. And she's like, why are you telling me all this? And he's like, nothing. Just don't embarrass me in front of him. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, <laughs> the, the irony of this guy who's like yeah. this like drug dealer with no money is like begging don't you everybody. Embarrass me. Yeah. He was like, don't embarrass <laughs> yeah. me in front of my friend. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was hilarious because Fati is like hazard stuff together for the most part, like you know. Yeah, so for it's sure. it's funny that he's like, "Don't embarrass me." <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really cheeky kind of funny moments. Um, Said says like the second that you know when that guy Mohammed shows up and he's sick and he, you know Kodrat gives him a bed to sleep in, which mm -hmm. might be the reason why the cops get called over. When when Said gets home and sees this sick neighbor of theirs in his bed he's like this is slowly becoming our job because <laughs> like, it's like second it's like the second injured person in their house he's yeah like, it's just really he's got like little funny moments there which are really great yeah i i will ask you i will ask you this do you know like the meaning of there's a scene when they go visit the police or they're in a jail cell and they meet that man who's got the pigeons mm. with his son yeah and the guy wants to the cop or something wants to like get rid of the pigeons and then the son releases them do you remember that yeah yeah what is the what is the, we haven't talked about that scene? I feel like it's it's oddly placed. Not that it's in a bad place, but it's just almost like I think he was just breaking some kind of like bylaw of having like a, a pigeon coop pigeon. that's like yeah. unregistered or like outside of the law or whatever. And they're they're keeping the pigeons there as like evidence, right? Yeah. And then this kid goes and he releases them. And it's I think that that is meant to be like a beautiful moment that everyone in this jail can kind of empathize with that. They're like, wow, they're being let go. They're free, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then I think the, the, at the very end of the original intended ending, doesn't the pigeon land again? It kind of ends on the pigeon arriving after the shootout, I think. Oh, I missed that. There's, there's a shot of the, one of the pigeons coming back or a pigeon. I mean, I don't know, but oh, so wow. like, in this moment, Kimiai is showing this like, and then throughout all this, there is some sense of freedom, or maybe he's talking about freedom in some way. He does have that pigeon land, and I just thought that's cool. It was an interesting choice to call back to this. That's cool. Um, I do think that within the context, or I think that within the scene where the pigeons are like, "Oh, that's the moment that the that's the moment that the landlord is shaken out of apathy." Because prior right. to that, he's like, I don't care about your guys' issues, pay yeah. my rent, blah, 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 blah. But then he's finally right. like, okay, fine. Oh, that's a good point. I never even thought about how it would affect the landlord. I was just so focused on the guy who cared about the pigeons. But <laughs> you're right. Maybe there's something really powerful about that. Um, cool. Uh, okay, least favorite scene. Why don't you go first? I went first on the other one. All right. Government mandated ending is one. It was uh, that so doesn't awful. Count. Why it's still a scene in the okay, you're right, but I just have to say, I cannot, I cannot say enough how much I hated that that government and mandated ending. Um, aside from that, I would say I'll have to get, I'll have to think, what is yours? Because mine is that that was the least, that's funny. That was it was the government, and it's yeah, what's yours? Mine is the final, final, final scene where the government opens fire and then the place explodes only because I feel like there's something missing. And it I just see, feels yeah. kind of like it, it took me out of it for a moment because I was like, wait, it, they shot up the wall and then it blew up. Like what? Like I wanted to right. see something there. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's fine. To clarify, 
I, I don't have any issues with the fact that the place went up in flames or that mm-hmm. they, they were killed. My issue is with the presentation of it. And I feel right, like yeah, it, yeah. it just felt a little clunky. For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a section called Damn That's Poetry, where we highlight our favorite quotes from the film. Um, I had a few, but let me just start. Well, I'll start with the one. The real standout for me was surprisingly from Fatih. And it's okay. the moment Fatih's kind of chastising the two men. Um, and I'll just say it here from the subtitles I took. It said, I work day and nights, even weekends. What do I get in return? Just misery. Working myself to death in smoke and sweat and abuse, hoping things will change. One night I'm Cleopatra, the next I'm Juliet. One night I'm a housemaid, then another I'm the Pharaoh's wife. And at the end of the day, they pay me just 15 bucks. Then I come back to this house, to this shit of sheep and hens and kids. No love in my life, no man, no work, no encouragement, not one bit. He doesn't even have the gall to kiss me. I love that entire speech. She's got like a great monologue and she packs her bags and leaves. I loved it. Yeah, that's good. And and there's a rhythm to it too in the way that she says it in Persian. There's, yeah. Yeah, there's a rhythm to it that I think works really well. Um, mine is, and I did my own translation because I found that the subtitles didn't do it justice. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted my life to find an honorable end. Now this makes things right. I'm with you. Dying by a bullet is better than dying in the gutter under a bridge. I wouldn't sell out such a good friend so cheaply. Bavafa. And Bavafa means someone who has a lot of love and loyalty, whether to you or someone that you have a lot of love and loyalty for. Mm-hmm. It can kind of work both ways. But um, I guess the closest thing that I could find would be like, beloved but it's it's not a romantic love it's like a a very sincere love like a platonic love and that's said uh from Sayyid Rodrat at the end when he's justifying why he's come into the room to get basically shot up with it um can i give an honorable mention yeah for lines yeah uh it's the it's the scene where where um Said is getting the speech from Rodrat, and Rodrat's kind of giving him the rousing speech mm. that will kind of pick him up off his feet. He says, take a look at yourself. Take a look around you. You were the best of us. You were somebody. Tell me who did this to you. Be honest with yourself. Don't you want to shed his blood for this? You go begging to the person who brought misery to your life, begging him to give you even more misery. Where is that old, sharp knife of yours? 
You help him to destroy the young people will be needing tomorrow. If my eyes are closed, my ears are open. And I just think that's a powerful moment because that's the moment he's able to kind of squash his demons and rise up again. And as you were describing, he starts punching the wall saying, I can do it. I like it. Here's, here's my honorable mention. Yeah, go for it. Even weird people sometimes. And it's said by Sayed, mm. and I, I love it because it's like, just because I'm a drug dealer or just because I'm a junkie doesn't mean I'm not a person, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, okay, let's go favorite performance. Great. For me, it's hands down. It's not even a contest. It's Behrouz Vasuri. Yeah, me too. Vasuri. I mean, it's a little bit of a contest. Like, I mean, like everybody in this film, I think, does a great job. But yeah, he does a... He's a standout. Yeah, he's a standout. The way he just portrays... It's like you described the Christian Bale doing the machinist thing. He contorts his body to become this like shriveled up. Yeah. Weak. Despite still being in great shape. For, yeah, yeah. he's an actor. He still like disappears into the role and the, the like I even like his teeth and nails are disgusting. Yeah. And I I like that as the film goes on, you can see him become more and more sober. Yeah. Like yeah. you because the first time you see him, his eyes are like barely open. And he's like yeah. slumped over the the record player and he like he can barely speak. He doesn't know what's going on yeah. around him. And as the movie goes on, he sobers up more and more and more. And then by the end of it, he's like spry and strong. And you're like, you, I don't want to yeah. mess with that guy. Yeah, it's transformative. Yeah. Also, there was a mention you were saying how he's really kind of leaning into this affect of like a heroin addict. Like he's, I've seen him in other movies. He yeah. doesn't speak that no, way he at doesn't. all. So even his voice, is, he's, his voice is contorted to this like helpless yeah. kind of addict kind of tenor. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Nitpicks and hot takes. Um, what are your, some of your nitpicks and hot takes of the film? Um, for me, I feel like there's just pieces missing from the film. And to be completely honest, it's, it's totally possible that these were beats that were removed and they were never able to find them. Some of the things that they mm -hmm. did find were found via the Iranian film archive, but yeah, just like, for example, um, when Rodat is like, take this money to this address and then say it's like, okay, I'll take Fatih with me because if I go, if it's like a couple going, we're less likely to get suspicious looks, whatever, whatever. And then it just cuts to them coming back to the to the complex and there's like police all over the place. It like that felt like a bit of a jump to me because the way it was cut, right, yeah, it, yeah. it made it look for a second like, okay, now we're going to see Fatih and Sayed go to that address or whatever, but it's actually yeah. them coming back from it. And there's a few other times where it, it feels like there's weird jumps or like something's missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's my only real nitpick. Yeah, that's fair. I, I have two. Um, there's sort of, I mean, despite the fact of what I said about the, the, the speech being one of my runners up for the quotes, is it all it takes to get over heroin? Just a rousing speech from your friend and that's it. You've kicked the habit because it seemed like a pretty quick solution. <laughs> like, Yeah, maybe we should have seen like, we should have seen him go through withdrawals and stuff. Like, I don't know, maybe that would have been. Yeah. 
it just seemed a very simple solution to uh, what is recognized as a very serious problem yeah. and a difficult habit to kick. But I, I mean, I'll forgive it because I, you know, I don't think the film was like from that point on, you don't want to be focused on now it's a slow recovery of six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. know more about the friendship. Oh, um, actually, another nitpick. Sorry, is the yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a bullet wound like the whole movie, and he like doesn't exactly. Yeah, doesn't get worse. Yeah. He doesn't get infected. But, he doesn't go to the hospital. But at any that point. could be something that's missing because Sayed does mention like at the very least, I need to go to the pharmacy and like get stuff to treat you. So yeah. it's possible that they like stitched him up or like took the bullet out or whatever. We don't know. Yeah. But but neither of them are trained. <laughs> They're not doc. They don't have a medical background. I mean, maybe there's a just... scene where Fatih mentions that like her mom was a nurse and she like learned to yeah. do. You know, it's possible. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a scene Fatih goes to medical school and becomes a doctor. It's <laughs> all so, like one hour theater production. It's all one hour side plot that she's yeah. also yeah. yeah paying for med school. Um. My other like minor nitpick is what like, what drug dealer still gives more free drugs to the addict who clearly is heavily in debt to him. I guess it's possible, but it's like this guy's failed to pay him on three separate occasions. He owes him a lot of money. Yeah. And at the end, he like he refused the money. Obviously, her eight year old daughter hands the uh, heroin over. But I'm just like, man, from what I what I think I've seen in dr from drug dealers in movies, after a certain point, they're not going to negotiate with you with free drugs. They'll just break your legs or kill you. Well, they, they would. This guys, they probably wouldn't want their dealers to be getting high regardless, right? Isn't that a part yeah, of the, exactly. the, the Ten yeah. Crack Commandments? Don't get yeah, high yeah. on your own supply. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. So, okay. What about what aged poorly? Um, I have two things. So I just have one and I'll say it's the it's affiliation with Cinema Rex, not our podcast, oh. but the theater. I just think like outside the context of the stuff that's in the film. Um, I don't think people can think of this movie now without thinking of its affiliation. I think that's and a I, good thing, though. I, it's a good thing, but it's a tragic thing. It is tragic. It's very sad. But again, this whole movie, like that premise is about shaking people out of apathy. And I think the okay, very yeah, fact that talking about this movie elicits a conversation about Cinema Rex is, is mm -hmm. very important, especially because you could use this very movie today to talk about the problems in Iran today. Like this movie is still banned in Iran. You would think that because this movie has like revolutionary subtext, right? That the Islamic Republic mm -hmm. of Iran, like the, the current government, would be like, oh, this is this is this is our movie. This is the movie about what we stand for. This is about who we are and about how we defeated the oppressive Shah and yada yada yada. But it continues to be banned, probably because the subtext now is even more contemporary given the, the climate in Iran. Yeah. Now, now it's banned also because it's like, well, her, her hair is showing. Yeah, her hair is showing. But like, even if they were to like roto brush her hair or whatever, like rotoscope right, yeah. her hair out and put a hijab in every scene, I think regardless of that, they, there's no way they would show this because of all the, all that subtext. Right. Yeah. No, of course. Um, what are your, what aged poorly? Um, two things. I have two. So... One of them is that, and again, it's like, it's hard to say that this is like an aged poorly thing. It's definitely a, a product of its time and its place. 
But the mm-hmm. fact that women are constantly, even like the most assertive women are constantly being like, where are the men to come and save us? Right, like, it's not yeah. even like a subtle, it's like directly stated, like, where are the men yeah, who should be standing up line, for us? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you could argue that that's aged poorly, but given our culture and the fact that like, no, this is like a part of the cultural decorum that men are supposed to treat women with respect. And if they don't, it's the responsibility of other men to put them in their place. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think the fact that these women are standing up for themselves is definitely a matter of agency. But I think that Mm -hmm. some people might not realize that there's a cultural rule there that, yeah, men are supposed to stand up for women, despite the fact that at a glance, people might look at Iran and be like, oh, this is such a like misogynistic society, blah, 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 blah. The reality is that those are what you're seeing in Iran with like the hijab and whatever. That's not cultural. It's definitely a government mandated thing. Our culture, the people of Iran, like our, our Iranian culture is very much a thing of respect. Like we have this whole thing called taruf, which is these rules of engagement on how to treat people with respect. There's like unwritten rules that every Iranian knows. And part of that is treat each other with respect, especially women. And if you don't, other men are going to beat your ass. So um, Mm -hmm. the other thing for me that doesn't age well is the old timey voices and like some of the old timey blocking like even just the way that people are like getting stabbed, it's very rigid. It feels mm-hmm. like, but but this isn't just like an Iranian thing or just a thing with this movie. This is just the way cinema was in like old movies yeah. and old yeah. plays and whatever. In, in the US, I would say by the 90s, things were definitely much more, or sorry, by the 70s, things were much more modernized. But if you look at mm-hmm. American movies from like the 50s and the 40s and the 30s, you get a lot of that old timey voice, which people will often joke about and talk about mm-hmm. the like the mid Atlantic voice, which is like an accent that doesn't really exist. It's like sort of American, yeah. sort of British. Um, yeah. Similarly, here a lot of people have these like fake voices, like even even Sayed's voice, like his druggy voice. It's like a yeah. stereotype from like these old timey movies, right? Yeah. He's bringing, he's pulling it. He's turning up the knob a bit. Yeah. On the, uh, performance. Yeah, yeah. Which given the context of that time period, that's just the way you do it. That's just the way you make movies. But, uh, now watching it, you're like, Oh, this is, that's dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I mean that, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's specific to this film, but it just definitely is something. Is it more noticeable you think, or less noticeable in an Iranian film? Do you mean the the like the, the old timey kind of blocking and accents? I think it's the same. I just think that because Hollywood obviously had more money and access to better technology and better resources, um, yeah. I would say Hollywood movies were probably like twenty years ahead with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you would have to compare early nineteen seventies Iranian cinema to like nineteen fifties American cinema. Because right. I would especially say in the 1950s was when you would watch a lot of American movies where like some of the actors would have like an old timey voice and some of them would be much more grounded. Similar with right. this film, I would say like half the characters 
give a grounded performance and half the characters are much more grounded. Like Fati is definitely mm-hmm. a grounded performance. That that yeah. other woman who's in the courtyard who's like constantly like roasting everybody, grounded performance. But then the like the landlord character or like mm-hmm. Sayed, even to some extent Odrat, like these are I would say more of like a classical yeah. performance. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, double feature lineup. What movie would you pair this up for a double feature? I have two. And again, like last time, neither of mine are Iranian. Okay. So I, I think the obvious Iranian one is, is a uh, salesman. No. Okay. Especially cause like that talks about similar things, like similar themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also obviously has like a play setting. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that this movie does it much more um, poignantly. But my mm-hmm. official answer is actually Motorcycle Diaries. Oh, interesting. How come? Because it unabashedly explores this brotherhood of two individuals within an, a pre-revolutionary context. And I think mm-hmm. that it can lead to a lot of very interesting discussions with people after watching the movies so like if you sit down with a group of people you watch motorcycle diaries and this or whichever order i think that it can lead to a lot of really interesting conversations right okay yeah i haven't seen that in a long time since like i think i saw when it came out so good and like not since um for my double feature i have abel ferrara's bad lieutenant Mm. because i remember seeing bad lieutenant like my my dad is a big he likes cop movies a lot and mm. he likes like like old crime cop whatever and I remember like showing him Bad Lieutenant and he was like he was like what is this film you showed me like he didn't like it at all because Bad Lieutenant is Harvey Keitel literally like jonesing for is it heroin or crack it's either heroin or crack mm. I think he's a heroin addict and he's just like it's just like a downward spiral of a drug addict and he's a cop but he's like he's terribly lost mm. he can't do his job he can't function he's trying to solve a crime but it's like long sequences of him just like just like spinning out mm. on junk um tough watch uh great performance by Kaitel. the other one i would say is midnight cowboy because midnight cowboy has um john voight and dustin hoffman the friendship between two unlikely i mean for midnight cowboy it's unlikely pairings but the, the the brotherhood and, and friendship form between these two guys. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure Dustin Hoffman's character, that's from the famous, you know, Hey, I'm walking mm. here, you know, like the, but I'm pretty sure he's a drug addict in it. And it's just like that film was so gritty mm. for its time showing like New York in a new light mm-hmm. and showing these two, like, like again, hapless fools that are trying to make a living, mm. trying to make some money and, and they're relying on each other and their friendship. I think there's a lot of elements that could make interesting mm-hmm. double features. But Bad Lieutenant and this film would be my go-to for a double mm. feature. Um, when I was reading online, uh-huh. a couple other people actually drew a lot of parallels between this film and Alma and Louise and also with Butch Cassidy. Oh, so yeah, I, totally. I feel I like that. there's an argument to be made there. I just think like you don't want to pair something up with something that's too similar mm-hmm. because then your your conversation just becomes very surface level. It's like, oh, yeah, those are the same movie. But I feel like the examples <laughs> yeah. that you and I gave are examples where you can have a lot of interesting conversations. Like even with Motorcycle yeah. Diaries, you can be like, okay, like what happened within the context of Motorcycle Diaries 
led to Che Guevara becoming a revolutionary. And that right, yeah, yeah. incidentally informed a lot of what was going on in Iran in the 70s, mm-hmm. which informed this movie. And then this movie came out before that other, right? So it's like kind of this yeah. weird cyclical thing. Yeah. No, I just, I also <clears throat> think even just tonally for Midnight Cowboy, um, it was, I think it was like nominated for some bunch of Oscars or at least a few. And it was rated X. Like it was considered so gritty and like against the grain of what standard Hollywood filmmaking is at that time that it got an X rating. It might've been the first X rated movie to get Oscar nomination. It's not like, it's not a hardcore, it's not triple X porn, but it's just so gritty. And in terms of like unabashedly showing the life of struggling people, that's wild addicts and whatever that they were like, yeah, this is like, yeah. So I think still to this day, it's kind of X rating, but um, yeah. Interesting. Can this be made as a modern Hollywood remake? What do you think? I think so. I often give, yeah, I'm probably going to constantly be pretty lenient to this. Actually, I think one future film we're doing on the list I've already thought about cannot be. But I think for the most part, there's so many creative voices out there yeah. that there, you know, I think these a lot of these themes are pretty universal. The idea of like the strength of friendship and, yeah. and you know, the ability, the, the ability for someone to be able to change and get out of their rut. And I, I could see like a modern remake maybe not taking place in Iran, but again, like doing that thing of like, can this version be done with like a bunch of like about two homeless San Francisco. So, so I have a question when you're making, when you're talking about this modern remake, are you making the friend character a revolutionary or are you making him a bank robber? I would probably do revolutionary in as an, as a nod to the initial intention. That's interesting. I think bank robber would probably make more money though. Yeah. I think as a Hollywood remake, you would have to lean into the bank robber thing. Mm -hmm. And I think you would have to change the ending because I think the idea that like the entire police force is surrounding this complex for a bank robber is kind of weird. Yeah. Like I, yeah, because, but it, it makes sense given the fact that like, no, he's actually this like wanted revolutionary guerrilla fighter you know what i mean yeah um yeah but uh yeah i think what would be very interesting is if hollywood through their money and resources and this is my pitch in case there's like a executive producer listening yeah through their money and resources behind an iranian american or iranian canadian uh director uh to tell a modern version of this set in iran but as an American production, like with the resources of Hollywood, because you could very easily adapt this exact same film into modern Iran, especially with the, the current state of things with the, uh, the Zanzendigi Azadi movement. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, essentially making it, instead of making it an anti-Shah insurgent, yeah. he's an anti-Khomeini, uh, Khomeini. Khamenei, yeah. Khamenei. Yeah. Which and and I think it, it also plays up the the thing with with the women trying to shake the men out of apathy. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. No, it's an excellent point. Final thoughts and grades. Um I okay, it's really funny because as I mentioned earlier, mm. you and I had gone through two versions of this film, the YouTube version, which I do not recommend people watching because 
we watched the first hour of that film essentially. And I was like, it wasn't even that I was having such a hard time following, but I, there's something about the pacing and all the edits cut out. I was not on board. And I was like, this film is going to be a slog. The second you sent in the clear version, I was immediately hooked. Me too. I watched it from the beginning and I was like, this film is phenomenally better yeah. than I thought yeah. it was going to be. And it's such a big difference that I think if people want to see this film, they have to track down through various means. Maybe they can reach out to you and find out how you got it or something, but or find it in a theater. I know Tiff Lightbox might occasionally play it, but that YouTube version, which is the only version that people that I asked were able to find online, yeah. is probably is almost unwatchable. Yeah. And it changed my perception. So I would have given that initial version maybe like a D if I was going to watch that movie. We also end. only watched it halfway through. I know, but there was so much, so much good cut out of the, uh, like, you know, even the first, like I enjoyed the first, I rewatched the first 50 minutes again yeah. and I was enjoying it so much more. I was really in engaged in the characters. I, I would say this version for me is a B plus. It's really high up there. I still think like just comparing the two films we've done so far, I liked where's the friend's house more, Interesting, but, but, um, when you say interesting, I imagine that you disagree for strong. You would reasons, imagine but, correctly. Yeah. But we, yeah, let's litigate that. Um, uh, I, I would say that it's, um, it's very high for me. It's a B plus. Okay. I gave the other one a minus. So it's, it's pretty much the same. It's just a great difference. I, what did you, you, yeah. I agree with your assessment of the YouTube version. Um, mm -hmm. It was not good. I could like barely understand what was going on. Cause it was like, yeah. especially the audio quality was so bad that I could like yeah. barely understand what they're saying. And every like once in a while I had to be like, what did he say? Like what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, the, the version that we watched, I actually noticed some things were missing from the original version that were in the YouTube version. Like the, the guy oh. who does the sound effects on stage that goes on way longer in the YouTube version. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but I, I imagine that the, the people who did the restoration didn't want to cut to a version that was that bad quality to fill in the missing piece. Um, but for yeah. the most part, the version we watched had actually restored more. Um, but I will say on that note, like there was the, in, the, in the restored version, there's like a scene that was cut out of the YouTube version. Yeah. When they first meet up in the hug and they're driving back to Saeed's place for the first time, yeah. Wodrat just looks at him and goes, something along the lines like, what happened to you, man? Yeah. Like, you've, like, you weren't. And it's such a small moment. And I don't know why it's cut from the YouTube version, but it instantly made me know everything I needed to know about these two. Yeah. Like he's changed so much and he cares so much about this friend that he hasn't been in touch with. And it's cut out. And I feel like that scene is so small, but it says so much. It gives so much fabric of yeah. of of their relationship that, and context that must have been are. censored originally because i yeah. what i suspect happened was that the the youtube version the version that my sister saw as a kid the vhs version i suspect that ever since the revolution there people have been iterating on each version that came before adding more and more pieces as they're being discovered so I don't think necessarily mm -hmm. that the YouTube version cut it out, but I think they just hadn't found it yet to put it back in. Right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so I yeah, also sure. suspect that the version that we watched didn't put in the rest of the sound effects guy because 
the next best version is probably that YouTube version. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, my my rating for this uh, is overall an A. Um, okay. Not necessarily an A plus, but definitely definitely above an A minus. Um, and for comparison, I gave Where's the Friends House a B plus. And and I think a big part of it for me is that this film does a really good job in portraying Iranian cultural values and and I think the the feeling that I get from Iranian culture that you can have these very real conversations and these very tragic contexts that that mm-hmm. inform why people act the way that they act right and it's like well you know like these are the tragedies that our people have had to go through but it it's also so full of heart and so full of love and the the relationship between the two friends especially is something that i think is missing from a lot of iranian cinema not necessarily like that friendship but that heart that level of heart and and love throughout the film is just something that i think is missing from a lot of iranian cinema but it's something that is clearly there in our culture right even to the extent that like you have this guy, Sayed, who's this this drug addict, right? And he's fallen on hard times and he's speaking with a lot of like street slang throughout the film. In fact, uh, that so that slang, that level of slang is called lot. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right? And he he calls his friend uh, Biluti or like Bilati or something. He's like... Yeah. Yeah. He's like instead of calling his friend sophisticated, he's like you're on slang or something. Yeah, and even yeah, the way yeah. that he says the word slang is slang in and of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this Routine. guy, yeah, this guy who yeah. who is very street and slang is constantly calling people things like bavafa, which is like my loyal friend or like my yeah. my beloved yeah. friend, or he's like. Constantly saying no karatam, chakaratam, which he's like, I'm your servant. Like, I'm here to serve you. I'm beneath you. Like, what can I do for you? Like, he's constantly elevating people around him. And he's so poetic in the way that he speaks with with that love and camaraderie. Uh, And that, I think, balance of poetic love with, you know, the, the, the gritty reality of things is something that a lot of Iranian films don't have. Yeah. Ironically, it's a revolutionary film that was filmed during pre-revolutionary times, mm-hmm. which led to its own altered revolution, which panned out not in any way in the way the director had hoped. Yeah. So there's a lot of parallels from real life to what this film is trying to say and convey. And yeah, it's a fascinating movie because... I'm I'm really glad we watched it for this. I hadn't seen it before this, so it's a it's I, I highly recommend it, and I think it's 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 one of the classics for sure. Yeah. So our our average score for this, I guess, levels out to what like an A minus. A minus. Yeah. And I think, and it's about the same, slightly less than that for the first one. Yeah. Where's yeah. yeah. First one, I guess you would call it like a. B plus plus. Because yeah, I said yeah, I said exactly. B plus, you said A minus. Yeah, I guess that's right, B yeah. plus plus. So right now this film's winning. Yeah. In the two movie race. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Uh well, thank you very much, Farhan, 
for mustering through this uh, this cold and the sore throat that you have. Yeah. I think you sound great. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry to the audience for the, the state of my voice and for having to listen to it like this. I think they'll be able to forgive you. Yeah. Unless it's because it's two episodes in, they're like, forget it. This guy's unprofessional. Yeah. I'm skipping over to something else. I'm out of here. This guy sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, for Cinema Rex, I'm Kava Mohebi. I'm Farhan Moradi. The Omide Dida. Music for Cinema Rex was written and performed by Sohail Sadinejad.